Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And this is Dan Abuhop. With Tamson and Dan read the paper on Sunday, April 3rd, 2022. Right. Right. Uh, busy week. A busy week, honey. You say that. I think you say that every week. You know why? Because every week there's a busy week. That's why. I, I think that's just like a fetish of yours. No, no, no. There's no, no. something important about being busy. No. Just the way I it is. myself, you know, prefer to just... Sit on the couch and eat bonbons. I've noticed that. Yes, that's why it's good you have me to sort of lift you out of that kind of uh, existence. Really? Yep. I'm so lucky. Oh, so we, uh, busy week. So we went to, should, should I start? Because we're going to need uh, some time here. We went to the movies. Went to the movie. I took you to the movies. We took went to a film at a right. movie theater. We saw Coda. Right, we, and actually in the theater, in the was theater. masks optional. Yeah, I mean, nobody wore a mask in the theater. I mean, you know, what, what they had to wear a mask in the lobby, which is silly. But let's let's not pile on. But uh, the fact is, we go to this county theater in Doylestown, and what they do is they have certain shows that are for people who want to wear masks, and certain shows for people who don't. Well, the, yeah, certain days of the week, yeah. if you go to the movies, you need to have proof of vaccination and a mask, and a mask, and otherwise uh, anything goes. It's, it's basically. The key times for them... I think is, that makes some sense. Sure. Friday, Saturday, uh, that's uh, anything goes. But Sunday to, to Thursday, it tends to be... I don't know if it's quite that. Right? It's not quite that. That's generally the way it goes. No, right. Just I've move, done a study on, move on. Move yes. on. Either give people real information... It's real. It's, it's, or don't I'm give telling them. you, it's uh, all the prime just... times as anything goes. Oh, let's go. So let's we go. went to see Coda because we it was our duty because it had won the uh, Oscar... For Best Picture. No, it wasn't our duty. Yeah. Uh, I had wanted to see it for a while. You, you wanted to see it I was it quite curious out. about yes. it before it was even in contention for anything. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, we saw it. So what did you think? I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. I highly enjoyed all the um, signing, mm-hmm. especially the, the cursing and uh, the siblings, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Scrabbling with each other, um, that that was I thought very well acted and fun and mm-hmm. real, but the plot, the movie itself, seemed to me a little on the Hallmark movie side of things. Yes. I mean, it was it was kind of prosaic. It was very straightforward. Um, the twists and turns were the twists and turns you expect, um, and uh, you know, uh, so. All in all, in some ways I was disappointed, but I, I did enjoy um, a lot of the the deaf aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, I, well, that's and nice I, And I thought Troy Axer, is that his name? Troy Coxer. Coxer. Yeah. Um, was terrific. I thought he really did deserve uh, the uh, acting award, the supporting yeah. acting right. award. Uh, but what well, did you think? Well, I, think I liked mean, it better than I did, I think. Uh, well, look, I don't disagree with you. I think at the end of the day, it's... It's a small movie. It's a it's a very cabined movie. It's a simple, uh, old fashioned film, uh, and uh, that's what it is. It's it's not terribly ambitious. I mean, it's kind of funny that it won the Oscar because movies like that don't win the Oscar. And the only thing I can think of that's similar to that, well, I'm sure there are others, that's that simple, uh, a straight line plot is Rocky. Rocky was like that, but Rocky was a much better movie. Uh, but so this was, you know, simple young girl coming of age movie. What added to it, of course, is as you point out, the idea that she had deaf parents. 
and adds a whole dimension, including, uh, you know, on the surface level, you have actors who are really deaf actors who are communicating by sign language. And, and there's something that's very evocative about sign language. You remember, we were discussing this before, we saw a production on Broadway of uh, Big River, which is a musical. Right. Uh, and we had seen it in a straightforward musical production. Later, we saw a production that Roundabout put forward, uh, which was uh, done by actors in Theater of the Deaf, and there was a lot of signing. And it was very interesting. I mean, Big River is not a great musical, but 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 my point is, uh, the the activity, the physical motion that goes in the signing, it kind of draws you in. I mean, I don't know if you call it acting or what you call it, but well, in it a is sense, acting. It, it is a acting. very f- physical form of exactly acting. right and uh, conveying emotion. And I think it's very engaging. Yes, and, and yeah, I, so yeah, I yeah. think that adds to the movie. Uh, and I think uh, I agree with the culture deserves credit for that. Uh, and all the deaf actors, of course, Marley Matlin's in it too, and Marley Matlin's, you know, been a prominent actress, deaf actress for a long, long time. Children of a Lesser God, for which she won Best Actress. Um, so, again, simple movie, you know, simple story, I'll say well told, uh, to be sure. I enjoyed the movie. Maybe I enjoyed it a little more than you. Maybe I just had, uh, maybe you had greater expectations uh, than I did. I mean, we, we saw the. Uh, it's funny because it got a little bit of a, a backlash, and I, we both saw this article about some uh, folks who are deaf or belong to sort of these deaf organizations um, that were a little disappointed in the movie or had some um, reservations about the movie because they didn't like the way that, that deaf folks were portrayed. They didn't think it was Well, to the, many aspects of uh, life for deaf people. They didn't like the way it was portrayed, especially in the 21st century. And uh, Jenna Beacom, for instance, is quoted in the Times. She's a deaf media critic. Um, Said there's so many actually harmful messages in this movie. Uh, That's a conflict. I don't want those messages out there. I don't want them taking root. And I think one of the the big harmful messages was that uh, deaf people are so desperate for an interpreter. Um, and that in this, in this case, the family seems to sort of take advantage of uh, the one daughter who, you know, is hearing. And, uh, you know, she has to do everything for them in right. terms of uh, communicating with the outside world. And, and you know, uh, Jenna and uh, other people in this article point out that, uh, you know, deaf people live very, you know, independent, uh, competent lives, even if they don't have a live-in interpreter. So that seems silly. Also, it must be ignoring um, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 that will, you know, that says uh, people will be provided with professional interpreters. I've actually taught, I've lectured um, with deaf students in the classroom mm-hmm. with an interpreter. Really? And I, well, I felt terrible Why? F- for the interpreter. Uh, because, you know, um, I, my lectures can be a little bit out there yeah. and uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, jumping around a lot, uh, jumping between, you know, languages. Mm-hmm. You know, not that I... Um, go on and on in French or Italian, but I, I sprinkle in my, you know, little um, words here and there, etc. I just felt it, it must be some kind of a challenge just because I'm such a wise ass yeah. as as a speaker. Right. Um, 
But, uh, you know, we, we all did uh, fine together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, my expectation, I, I was disappointed in the sense that, uh, um, you know, to some extent the movie gave the impression these people could, you know, barely survive without her. That it was going to be a huge deal to figure yeah. out how to run a business or do anything um, without her there in the home. And that didn't seem realistic. That just seemed to be something that was thrown in to make uh, the plot more compelling. Um, So, Yeah, well, I I agree with all that. And I I can understand the sensitivity that the deaf family, uh, they were portrayed as kind of helpless. And... um, and I guess the re- well, you're reminded that what the name of the movie is is called Coda, mm-hmm. Children of Deaf Adults. It's not their story; it's her story. Right. It's a story of the child, so it's told very much from her perspective. And and maybe that's unfair. She's a young person, and she sees herself as put upon, perhaps to some degree. It is not told from the perspective of the deaf family members. Uh, it's just not the story. And uh, so I think some people are going to be disappointed if they feel, and, and, and there is some, there was some virtue signaling apparently that Academy Awards people were signing saying like it's a great step forward for deaf population or deaf sensitivity. Well, and, for, and for deaf, deaf yeah. actors. Well, for deaf so, actors it is. You know, it having is. Uh, right. representation and participation. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for film. sure. But it is not really a film about deaf people. It is to some degree, but it's mostly about her, mm-hmm. the child of deaf adults. So it's 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 just not exactly what it was cracked up to be. I think that to some degree. Well, but, yeah, but again, I it, but it, it just it might struck wrong. a wrong note yeah. where they're exaggerating things that don't don't right. seem realistic. You're right. you're more engaged with a character if it just resonates, if it seems true. Right. And uh, well, let me ask a different kind of question. Yeah. Uh, and maybe there's just no answer to the question. Maybe it's a completely unimportant question. Uh Considering these were the two primary candidates for Best Picture, which movie did you like better, The Power of the Dog? <laughs> well, but someone had to, people in the yeah, academy I, had to ask themselves that question. Uh, I, you know, is that the way it is? It's either or. Well, yeah, you got to vote. I know, but don't you vote for whatever movie you like the best? No, you vote in preference. The, the voting's done. You rank your preference. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, that is a hard one because Power They're of the so Dog different. wasn't my favorite. On yeah. the other hand, uh, the um, the filming, the the, the right. scenery, um, the the emotions in that film did seem more powerful. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that's hard. I can't answer that. Yeah, I mean, I that's a, I have the same reaction. I love the the music in the Power of the Dog. I love the, the cinematography. I love the mood. Um, at the end of the day, there's something powerful of a simple story well told, and I guess I'd give the nod between those two, Dakota. Yeah, it, 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 so. But it's hard to imagine that that's what it came down to, and yet it is. So what do you have? You know, not the strongest year. But uh, I enjoyed the movie. People also objected to the scene where, um, the big emotional scene, where she's singing for her father. Yeah. Well, well, and he is touching her throat yeah. uh, to, in order to experience her singing, yeah. and so you, you can't do that. Uh, the deaf people are saying, no, it's just, 
it it wouldn't sound any different from the vibrating of your phone. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that again, you know, when it's not realistic, when yeah. it's not telling a real. But when you were there watching the movie, story, you don't know that. So you read the article in the Times. Yeah, I, I sort of knew that. I said, "Oh, you? wow, that's right out of Helen Keller." Or something, well, it is. Know? It and, is uh, actually. Does that really work? I yeah. I don't understand because you know if you do it right now to yourself, what, what do you you feel? Well, a look, vibration. I, I will just say, we'll get off this subject. The other thing they mentioned in the article, which I think was a telling point and a fair criticism, is at a critical moment in the movie, uh, you know, whether she should go or not go to college. Uh, and he's, he hasn't spoken the whole time. He's been signing, the father. Yeah. And he, he, makes, he finally emits a sound, which is go. And it, it has a certain resonance, a certain emphasis, because that's, that's a strongly felt emotion, so strongly he spoke it. And they find that, the folks the in the article find that. it highly objectionable. Yeah. So there's no greater significance to voicing a point as opposed to signing a point. Yeah. So it's that, and, but and again, I, if you want to see some great signing, yeah. go. Oh, the, it is. No, I movie. enjoy it's the movie. Just, I enjoy the movie. Yeah. I just enjoy getting out. But uh, I enjoy the movie. Yeah. And uh, so last night, uh, we had a real, a real conundrum. We're all set. And we were driving down the road, and uh, we went by a venue, a local venue, yeah. for cabaret shows. And, uh, and there seemed to be some activity. And, and you said, oh, and, you know, wonder what's going on there. And I said, oh, I think, you know, it, you know, I don't know. There's, they have various people there. I know they're having Tom Wopat at some point. And you said, whoa, 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 whoa what? Wopat? <laughs> I would see that. And I said, well, we might have already missed it. And I looked it up, and he, indeed, Tom Wopat was coming to town. Right. On, so, on April 2nd. Okay? Which was Saturday that the Saturday night yeah. of the final right. four. Which is two things, two points. Number one, the venue is a half mile from our house, right? Well, it's, it's very just, convenient. Very convenient. So, and, and, and I'll... And, and oh, I'll just say it now. It's called the Raz Room. And what they did was they renovated this building. And it's, we haven't really figured out what they got going on there. Maybe it's uh, Daniel, a, just tell the story, event okay? space. or maybe right, Enough, enough. It's we like a need... 54 below imitation. Yeah. yeah right? But um, the question, the problem was the final four is last night. And we had been planning uh, to spend the evening watching basketball, the two basketball games. And uh, did we want to see Tom Wolpat enough? To, to skip uh, or miss a lot of the basketball. And I opined that I think we could do it because I thought the first game would be a blowout and we'd still see the second half of the second game. And it, and that's what we did. And I was right, by the way. Uh, so let me come back to the basketball. So we went to see Tom Wopat at, at the Raz Room. Now, Tom Wopat, just so we're clear, uh, for those old enough to remember, Tom Wopat was famously a one of the stars of the Dukes of Hazard which is a TV series that ran from 1979 to 1985, which I understand was very popular, which I never saw, and I understand you never saw it either. No. But that's not for us. But but it was very popular. Well, because we were, at that time, young professionals. Yeah. And young parents, and we weren't uh, sort of sitting around. I wouldn't have watched it at the age of 12, honestly. Well, yeah. It was not uh, not Not kind of thing we were interested in. So I never took him seriously as a performer. But he, in any way, until uh, years later, I took uh, Zeke and Zeke. one of his friends, Joe Carroll, yes. to into New York to see Annie Get Your Gun. And uh, 
He was playing opposite Bernadette Peters right. in that uh, revival. Right. He was playing Frank Butler. Uh, and uh, what do you think of him in that? He was terrific. Was he really? Yeah, I didn't know he could sing. He can really sing. Oh, yes, he can sing. So he's recorded like 10 albums or so. And, he, and a lot of them are country, but some of them are uh, more pop standards. Uh, some of them are rock and roll. Um, here's something you might not have known. Do you know he was nominated for a Tony for that? For Gonna Get Your Gun? For They have a... Tony for Best a Actor. A category for Best Actor, Best Actor in the Revival? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, for Best Actor, I think you could just go in the normal pool, but you, you oh, can't. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So in any event, uh, he was nominated. He didn't win. He also, uh, just to give you his, his Broadway career, um, he was, uh, he mentioned that he knew Harvey Firestein during the performance last night. He was in uh, A Catered Affair, which Firestein wrote in 2008, also nominated for Tony. He was nominated for Tony twice, which is mm-hmm. no small thing. And here's mm-hmm. something which I didn't remember at all. In 2010... We saw uh, Sondheim on Sondheim, roundabout production. Yeah. He was in that. Uh, I looked it up. He was in it. They had a cast of five or six. He wasn't a star. The stars being like Barbara Cook and, and uh, Norm Lewis. But he was in that cast. He okay. Small yeah. So in any event, he can sing. Uh, and uh, so we went. And it was a cabaret type thing. It's very nice. Uh, very convenient, obviously, for us. But you're, you're you're very close to the performer. It's very informal, and um, it was interesting. Now, what do you think of that? I was disappointed. Okay, how so? Um, first of all, he he can still sing. Yeah, a terrific voice. But uh, in terms of uh, a show, it was like he was phoning it in. <laughs> Could, you know, when he walked out yeah. into the audience yeah. before yeah. the performance yeah. and he was chatting people up yeah. and you said, oh, look, here's your guy. And I looked over and I said, that cannot be him. And, uh, you know, he looked, he needed a haircut. He, I, you know, he, he didn't look especially, he didn't, he didn't look fabulous. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, um, his patter was not very polished. Right. I thought his little anecdotes were rarely either funny or of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, and um, he, cl- he had a terrific piano player yeah. accompanying him. Right. And, and, he, and he played the guitar. And he played the, the guitar. He played the guitar quite well, I mm-hmm. thought. Uh, but, uh, you know, every once in a while he'd look over the piano player. They clearly had not rehearsed together uh-huh. at all. And right. he would just say, yeah, just do this chord. <laughs> you know, giving him little hints. You can do this, you know. And uh, and he would skip stuff and the guy would be flipping through oh, I didn't catch uh, that. I the didn't catch, um, yeah. sheet music. So it was, um, in a way, I felt kind of ripped off. I could have, I felt oh. he could have put something together. I, I just didn't think he took uh, well, the gig well, seriously. I, I didn't. Uh, and he kept saying... Well, I thought that went pretty good, you know, and oh. and he also about nine times says, "Well, what do you want? I'm seventy, you know, I'm seventy, yeah. and you know, it's well, just he, he was he could have been a lot more. There were a couple times I say to myself, had he had a couple of drinks before the whole thing started? Yes, uh, it felt and that I way. I think the answer to that is yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and he did well, stop everything and ask for a glass of wine. He asked for a glass of wine or a bottle of beer uh, uh, during and, the... and they gave him some wine, but. Um, yeah, so there's a little bit of that. Having said that, uh, I was probably put off by that a little bit less than you were. I mean, at least it was still interesting 
in the sense that it was very unfiltered. Uh, he did sing well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, again, maybe lower expectations. Maybe I didn't hold it to high standard. It certainly wasn't expensive, so I didn't feel ripped off. I wasn't off. expecting anything, Dan. But, and, you know, there's a difference between uh, unfiltered and interesting. You know, things uh, are not just interesting because they're unfiltered. I didn't say it was that interesting. Okay? But uh, uh, I, He needed somebody... To tell him which stories were interesting, you know, et cetera. But see, that's the difference between this and Manhattan, too, to some degree. Look, I I can't... All your points are valid. Yeah, and and you did hear before the show, he was talking to somebody and he said, yeah, hole in the wall. Oh, did he say that? Yeah, yeah. As if so, right. And if somebody said, "What are you doing, like in this hole in the wall?" Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, but people are going to treat it that way, unless you're an up and comer and you're just trying to make your mark. A guy like this is—he could have been warmer, more charismatic. Okay, I, I agree with that. I agree and, with that. And if anything, it's just so off-putting for somebody to keep. He he clearly is not happy being seventy, and that's just well. Depressing. I, 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 without going into it, he's had some rough times over the last couple of years. He had sort of a, a little bit of a drug type situation. And, uh, yeah, so that, that may be. But the fact of the matter is that uh, you're going to see that a little more at the Raz Room than you're going to see it at 54 Below in Manhattan. You're just going to see this is, you know, AAA. This is the minor leagues. This yeah, is not you know, the major I, leagues. I, would, I told you last night I would have been much happier yeah. seeing some relatively unknown person right. who was giving it their best. Okay. All and right. have this guy phone it in. All right. I mean, it just... Uh, you know, it was a little bit. It was disappointing and a little bit. I know, will say, insulting. It's the only time I've ever seen anybody sing Copperline before, other than James Taylor. Yeah, and he did sing one of my favorite songs, "The River." River's the wide. water is wide. The water, yeah. Um, yeah. So he gets one point for that. Another James Taylor song. He sang the Joni Mitchell but song. The place was interesting. Yes. And uh, we'll, I hope they have some other things we can go back to. We'll be back. I told you there's an act in the beginning of uh, May, which we may see. So. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's so it's a great thing for us. It's well, cabaret so is is fun. You know, yeah. we've done very little cabaret except for going to Fifty Four Below. Yeah. But if you can do it, it's really yeah. No, fun we, to we hear love it. We love it, and and you have unexpected forward. moments. And again, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be you know, uh, order McDonald. But uh, it was. I thought it was interesting. Um, anyway, we got back in time to. Uh, it was a good field trip. It was. Yeah, yeah. you got to take a chance. So. Uh, we saw the second half of the Duke North Carolina game, which was great. Speaking I mean, of Dukes, speaking of Dukes, get it? <laughs> he did sing the uh, theme song from Dukes of Hazard twice. Twice, uh, <laughs> and uh, that was something. This this kid, uh, Caleb Love, I, you know, he's not, he's not getting enough love. I mean, he, every once in a while you see a player in the tournament, and you say, not only is this guy uh, playing great in the tournament, but this guy is going to be. Like a, you know, not a, a top performer, like a Kevin Durant level performer in the NBA. I could see it, even though he's nowhere the, near that now. That just makes me cringe. Why? Because there's so much pressure on this guy. No, no, he does this guy. What does he get? What know, I think. The, I, yeah, I just feel like, uh, you know, he's 20 years everybody's old. Everybody's saying he's going to be the the next. No, 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 thing. But, no, no, no. Nobody's saying it. I'm I saying think it. People are saying Nobody's it. Nobody's saying yeah. it. No. The only other person I saw say it last night was Shashevsky. When they asked him, Mike Shashevsky, I said, "What happened?" So what happened? We couldn't cover Caleb Love, and you know something? That's a, that's what the last coach said too. So he's a guy who's been drifting in and out, as they say in the games. He's played two great quarters of basketball, two great halves in the entire tournament. They were the second half 
of the game against UCLA and the second half of the game against Duke, the two last he games. He did it when it counted. Lead. Exactly right. So in both those, he scored more than 20 Rose points in the a half. Yeah. Anyway, unbelievably talented guy. There also was an article in, in the Times, we don't have to dwell on this, about the, there's one high school that actually had four alums in the final four, which is just kind of unbelievable. Uh, St. Paul, the uh, sixth Catholic high school in Chantilly, Virginia, um, how does that happen? I mean, it doesn't seem possible. Uh, you know, they had uh, a guy from um, uh, North Carolina, uh, two from Duke, uh, one from Villanova. Their names you wouldn't know: Brandon Slater, Anthony Harris, Jeremy Roach, Trevor Keels. They're not the star performers, but can you imagine four guys on the uh, in a high school they team? They had a, a very good team. They won the state championship. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, they did. Chantilly, PA. Yeah. Well, we've, Driven no, by Chantilly, the sign. Chantilly VA. Did I say PA? No, uh, VA. You yeah. said VA. Yeah. I slipped. That's all right. That's okay. All right. So, uh, yeah. Go ahead. What do we have next? Uh, navigation. Navigation, which is critical. I've always thought of you as a city boy. Uh, I know you do. I know you. You're and, the only uh, person you, in America. You have zero sense of... Direction. Direction. It's true. And uh, now, you know, there's, we can know why. Okay, People who grew up in cities do not... You didn't really grow up in a city, but I guess Long Island is sort of a big city or something. Yeah, right. um, and uh, people who grow up in cities don't learn how to navigate. According apparently. to the Times. According to the city, Times. Yeah. Well, they, you know, they, um, they've done studies, okay? Um, uh, there was a study done... Um, well, it was done using a, a video game mm-hmm. uh, to test uh, people's navigating skills. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they answer all these questions in the process. They were shocked. They reached out to the video game community mm-hmm. to get this done. And they thought maybe they'd get, you know, like 100,000 respondents. Yeah. They got 4.5 million. Oh, you're kidding. So, so it's a big, nice big community. size population. Yeah. Uh, to draw some conclusions yeah. uh, from. And uh, what they found in general was um, that, uh, yeah, if uh, people who grow up in cities where you just go, where especially if it's a city that's laid out in a very, you know, sort of um, geometric grid, mm-hmm. okay, uh, then um, they you don't learn how to get around and you don't have a good sense of how to navigate. Now, the exception to this and uh, is, uh, well, for instance, uh, places like Spain, where the, the roads, even in the cities, are, shall we say, sort of random, right. okay? They, uh, they cite... Uh, those, people, those people Those people don't have, have problems. They have, yeah, they have really good senses of direction. But if you mm-hmm. grow up in Chicago or Buenos Aires or Montreal, cities that are very grid, grid-like, you don't tra- change... Yeah. Uh, you you don't train your navigation skills as well as like if you're in London or Paris or something like that or 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 God forbid Venice I always found the most confusing place on earth I couldn't never figure out where I was in Venice right. and so I, you, I usually am on the ball. But your point I, is, if you grow up in Venice, you're gonna have a good sense of direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, and people do. I mean, people they get around Venice fine. Let me explain why it's I don't have a good sense of direction. It's why? not. It's not because I grew up in a city because I obviously did not. It's because we didn't go anywhere. We never went anywhere. 
All right. So uh, all we did. No, it's not even that. I'm telling you, if we didn't go anywhere, how you're talking about developing no, a sense of direction as a child. Yeah. It, you we didn't did. drive anywhere. Both. Okay. Nobody drove anywhere. I'm telling you. Right, I didn't, because you never, you. Um, I didn't qualify for a driver's license until I went to college. So you went to college. So you hadn't been used to driving around and finding your way. I didn't places. have a license until I graduated yeah, okay. college. Right. So that's why you did. You know, but yeah. you were you were not actually mentioned in the article. Sad to say. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was just I was just being a little goofy. But you are sort of a city boy, really. But well, also city people. They you know uh, to some extent uh, you know um, other uh, conveyances take you places in the city. Yeah, mass transit. So the taxi driver has to know where he's going. The subway car knows where he's they're going. You know, and uh, once in a while you walk somewhere, you have to know where you're going. And that makes me a city boy. We didn't, oh. yeah, well, I got you. Spent uh, the majority of your life in the city. Yeah. Okay. When you think about it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well. Uh, okay. Um, and you're a country girl. I guess this means. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. a country girl. Oh. Right. Well, but but also I I've always been uh, you know responsible for figuring out where I had to get to. So. Okay. Yeah. All right, so uh, here's something that's kind of related to that. It has to do with uh, New Jersey, uh, New Jersey law against pumping your own gas. That's right. In New Jersey, you cannot pump your own gas. All gas stations have attendants who attend to you when you go to buy gas. And uh, it's one of only a couple of states who have it this way. So when you're in any place but New Jersey, you get out and pump your gas. Yeah, so I always gas up before I leave Jersey. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to Virginia, I go with a full tank. But this is the problem. The problem now is if you're running a gas station, you can't, you're having trouble hiring people to pump gas. And they interview some people in this article who say that they're desperate for workers. And it's so difficult to get workers to pump gas in this economy. Well, it's a terrible job. it's a terrible job, but uh, people are going for better jobs that pay more money. And as a result, a lot of gas stations, again, according to this article, are closing certain of their stations. So, you, know, so you go in, instead of having eight pumps open, they'll have three pumps open. Because they can only manage that, because they only can have one guy to pump the gas. Yeah. So it's hurting their business. It's hurting their business in two ways. One is that they're selling less gas. And two is a lot of these stations have a little uh, food mart. Adjacent. Oh, so they're doing less business. They're doing a lot less business because they no one can't, stops not, because no they one stop because they don't have the gas. So they're complaining bitterly. And the question is, why is this? Uh, why are people forbidden from uh, pumping their own gas in New Jersey? And uh, here's why: because uh, and this is a, a, a question that they put to Chris Christie in 2016. Quote, the last poll we did on this question, 78% of New Jersey women said they were opposed to self-service gas. 78%. You can't find 78% of people in New Jersey who agree on anything. So this is important to people. And then they quoted Murphy, who was asked, are you going to change the rule about uh, Murphy being the current governor? Uh, Are they going to change the rule about uh, pumping gas? And he said, I will not commit political suicide on this point. All right. Now, let me tell you how crazy this is. All right. Yeah. I understand. I'll accept this poll. Although I have no idea whether it's a legitimate poll or not, although you've seen to back it up. Uh, that's, let's say, 78% of women in New Jersey uh, would prefer not to pump their own gas. 
But it's the same thing as in a supermarket. You might get 78% of women saying, I prefer to have a checkout person rather than self-service checkout. And you know what they do? The supermarket offers both or doesn't offer both, but does whatever it wants. But they're in a competitive environment and the choice becomes one that the free marketplace decides. You don't have laws about it. So well, that's, that's a very good point. Why can't you just have this in New Jersey gas? And the answer is, you should. Uh, and the fact that you can't, that, that the governor of the state doesn't have the wherewithal to uh, sort of take on this issue because it's too difficult and too sensitive when it's so obviously wrong-headed tells you everything you have to know it is about a politics. It is a little, but let me say a few things yes. about uh, gas station attendance. Yes. Okay. I, I have had excellent... I agree. Long-term relationships sure. with the guys who pump my gas, yeah. you know, and uh, I will really miss that in my life. You won't miss not it. Not to see them anymore. But you won't miss it because what will happen is that the places that you've gone will keep those people because they'll be pumping more gas because they not know. Not if they can make more money no, without they can't. them. But they don't make more money unless people go to their station. And if they know that 78% of women prefer having an attendant there, they will have uh, an attendant. I don't, I don't. Listen, I'll tell you something else is going to happen. But you know what's interesting, though? What? When people come to Jersey um, from out of town, from out of state, they often tip the gas station attendant. Oh, do they? Uh, Yeah. Now, I tip at Christmas time, but it never occurred to me on a regular basis to be tipping the guy. So I'm I'm not sure where that stands. Well, I can tell you, uh, we had an attendant here. I I really, you know, I, um, I had... You know, one gas station I would go to regularly, and uh, I always enjoyed seeing this one guy, and, you know, especially after a hard day of work or something. Mm-hmm. And during COVID, he just, he kind of disappeared, but... Uh, you know you something? Know. He probably got a better job. I really hope he did. He I'm sure he very, did. I'm sure know, he did. But that's intelligent, what's, thoughtful, That's what's going to happen to all these folks, and good for them, but uh, mm-hmm. all the more reason. No, I, there's no reason. I'm, I'm just joking around here. There's no reason... We can't pump our own gas, really. Uh, I don't. I don't. Or not. But I don't me. truly mind that. And but you do feel when these guys are out in the rain and mm-hmm. the sub-zero temperatures, you, you feel terrible for them. So yeah. I, I'm sure it will it will come. Uh, uh, it's unbelievable but, it hasn't come. It's just bizarre. Okay, so um, <laughs> I have a story about the mystery over who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, How long has it been since you said that? Said the Pledge of Allegiance? Yeah. Probably since, uh, did you even say it in high Did we say it in high school? Did you ever say it in high school? Uh, I don't really. Certainly did it in elementary school. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been a while. Anyway, it turns out, I'm not, not that this is a terribly interesting story, no. but uh, um, it turns out that um, theoretically, Francis Bellamy, a Baptist minister and mm-hmm. Christian socialist from upstate New York, mm-hmm. swore in at least two affidavits about how he um, wrote this Pledge of Allegiance mm-hmm. uh, um, to to be printed in a magazine that uh, he for young people in the Boston area that he was promoting. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so he wrote it and. Uh, um, in 1957, um, the Library of Congress certified mm-hmm. that he wrote it. They did all kinds of research. But they recently have found an old newspaper clipping that has uh, students reciting this pledge 
several months before it was ever printed oh, wow. in uh, Bellamy's magazine. So that's a little weird. But even weirder is that it seems to have been written by a young man, 13 years old when he wrote it, mm-hmm. who was named Frank Bellamy. So okay. it's that the so, same person? And it's not, it doesn't seem to be uh, the same person, okay? Um, but they have found this old newspaper clipping that predates this other publication. That's totally weird. So it's not total proof that young Frank wrote the Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. but it, there is, it does seem to point to Francis did not. Okay. Really? That's and, the and proof. And the, a guy also, with the same he, name. He and his, you know, cronies would regale you with stories. It was published in September, mm-hmm. and they would regale people with stories of how Frank Francis thought it up on a blistering August night, you mm-hmm. know, et cetera, and so forth. But uh, it may not be true. So it, some interesting things about it. Uh, you know, and here we have the uh, I pledge allegiance to the United States and the Republic and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice uh, for all. It, it's basically how it originally was. OK, um, it well, at the beginning, it didn't have to the United States of America. That was added in uh, the 19. 19- Twenties, uh, mm-hmm. okay, because it, uh, so that people would be clear on what country they were mm-hmm. pledging allegiance to, and then in the fifties, um, uh, with the with the Cold War and fears of communism mm-hmm. and atheism and so on, is when they added in um, one nation under God. Under yeah, mm-hmm. under God. Uh, so that's all uh, kind of interesting mm-hmm. um, that it went through those changes, mm-hmm. and um, you know. I um, I have my own Pledge of Allegiance story. In um, I don't know seventh or eighth grade, I tried out for to be the uh, morning announcement people. You know, you'd all go to homeroom, mm-hmm. and somebody over the loudspeaker would say uh, the daily announcements. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there's a bake sale and, right. you know, we're playing against the uh, Kansas uh, Jayhawks and the, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. You know? And um, and, uh, and then at the end of it would lead the entire school in the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm-hmm. And so one day I subbed in. Uh, somebody didn't show up and they called, called me and I came and did it. And uh, I didn't have a written copy of the Pledge of Allegiance. So you forgot it? And I just couldn't remember. I, I, <laughs> I wandered around and um, eventually finished uh, oh. my version of it. <laughs> and the, you know, the, the, the teacher in charge just, you know, in the, um, you know, mic room or whatever it was, just kind of looked at me and laughed. And uh, it was humiliating. Really? Because well, it's not very long, and I, by that time I was in seventh or eighth grade. I've been saying it since kindergarten. Well, right? we used to just mumble our way through it, and, right. know, Without even thinking, right? Yeah. But when you when you sit down to think what it is, yeah. and you haven't thought about it ever, well, they it say can be also, a slippery you know, slope. They say this happens with pop songs. You know, there was this one show which they say, "What kind of lyrics do you really know?" Which was yeah. just done a few years ago, and everybody says, "Oh, I I know that song. I know that song. I know all the lyrics." And then when there's no background. You're not yeah. singing along, and they ask you to sing the lyrics. People don't know. Yeah. Well, it's that kind of situation. Yeah. 
humiliating. Oh, well, okay. And yet, I know you became the announcer in high school, so there you go. Well, we'll have to see what we find out about Francis and Frank Bellamy. That's too weird. They're, and who, yeah, who really wrote going it. On there. And was it a 13-year-old? I mean, that's... Eh, it's not the most sophisticated uh, no. document. Uh, all right. So, and now we close with the big news. Uh, you asked me, when's opening day for the baseball season? And I had no idea. Because, you know, things bounce around with the... Uh, work stoppage, and now they're back, et cetera, et cetera. And it turns out that opening day is upon us. It's April 7th, which is Thursday. Each of the teams will be playing on April 7th. The baseball season is about to begin. Even the Mets? Even the Mets, who are playing the Washington team. You're Washington. Oh, really? On uh, Thursday. So by uh, no coincidence, perhaps, there was an article in the Times early in the week about the original Mets. And they're running that article because it's the 60th anniversary of the Mets. They began in 1962. And the article features a big photograph of none other than Casey Stengel, who embodied the Mets. He was the manager of the Mets. And he seemed 130 years old, and he wasn't. But uh, he was just uh, a nutty guy. Everything he said seemed to be in some kind of Stengelese, as they put it. Uh, And the Mets were kind of a phenomenon. I mean... The team was uh, begun because uh, there had been a tradition of National League Baseball in New York uh, in the form of the Giants and the Dodgers, which uh, was terminated in 1957 when those teams moved to California. So notwithstanding that you still had the Yankees in New York, if you were a National League fan, that didn't matter. I would have been in that category. Certainly my father was. Uh, So there was a real hunger to have a National League franchise in New York and great enthusiasm for the Mets. Uh, being initiated in 1962, they had immediately a tremendous fan following. Uh, And that fan following was completely oblivious, or at least unconcerned, about how good the team was. And Casey Stengel contributed to that, because everything was sort of a little bit of a gag, a little bit of a joke. We're just here to play ball. As Stengel said, these young men haven't failed yet. And uh, they went out, and they failed. So the, uh, just to give you uh, the highlights, to give you an idea what failure is, uh, they lost their first nine games, which I do remember. Mm-hmm. Nine games really? is a lot to lose at the beginning of the season. And then, then they won their 10th game. I'll tell you, too, in their second season, they lost their first eight games. Uh, they were a bad team. Uh, that was not their longest losing streak of the season. Later, they had a 17-game losing streak. They also had losing streaks of 13 games and 11 games. This is, like, hard to believe. Um, they ended up with a record of 40 wins and 120 losses, which is also <laughs> stunning when you think about it. And they, you're saying to yourself, well, obviously they weren't in first place. They must have finished 20 games out of first place, maybe 30 games out of first place. They finished 60 games out of first place. Oh, <laughs> 60 games out of first place. Um, they were a bad, bad team. But... Again, the enthusiasm was so great, it didn't hurt the attendance. And, of course, people would come to see the Giants and Dodgers because there were Giants and Dodgers fans left over in New York. Uh, There was never any complaining. Just thrilled to have the Mets there. And, you know, some things were created. The the banners was was a Met thing. The idea of having banners in the stadium was invented with the advent of the Mets. Suddenly, you'd never see something like that in Yankee Stadium. But there'd be huge banners professing all kind of affection for the team. 
And uh, this carried the Mets for several years because they were terribly unsuccessful for a number of years. But it didn't hurt the fan base. And it's just a funny contrast. But now, you know, if, you know, if God forbid the team loses, which happens enough, uh, people freak out. What are we doing? What are we going to do to turn the season around? Yeah, they and, freak out, but they keep rooting for the Mets. Yeah, well... Uh, so I think, uh, yeah. Well, of course... They just they, like to complain. Well, that must be it, because the latest news... So the Mets, Mets are really perfect for the Jacob years. deGrom is hurt now. He's out for four weeks, and the fan base is going crazy. And I like what Buck Showalter, the manager, said. He said, the sky isn't falling. It's just raining. Huh? Okay. There's a guy who knows. All right. Let's go Mets. That's right. All right. So we're all set for the season. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, that wraps up the uh, podcast for uh, today. Uh, this is Dan Abuhop. And Tamson Granger with Tamson and Dan Read the Paper. And uh, we'll be back. After the Mets win a few games. <laughs>